Awesome. Lots of things happening at the harbor. Uh, Spencer said, welcome to the first-time guests. Can we give it up to them again? Just uh, thank you for spending some of your Sunday with us. If you haven't already, uh, fill out a connection card so that we can just acknowledge your presence here this morning and keep you updated with anything that's happening here at the harbor. You can take that connection card Put it to the welcome table there in the lobby, and uh, we'll give you a special gift just for being here today with us. We'd love to get to know you, love to connect with you more. My name is Darren Davis. My wife, Wendy, and I have the honor of being part of an amazing team here at the harbor. And what an awesome Sunday, isn't it, just to be in the presence of God in the house of the Lord, and it's going to be a good, good day. One of the things I encourage all of us to do, if you haven't already done it, is to download the harbor app. I use it all the time. I mean, on the harbor app, there's events. You can watch or listen to former messages. Um, in fact, when I was away last weekend, I was watching online on my app, uh, Grant Speak, and just the service that was going on here. It's a great, great tool. It'll keep you up to date with things that are happening here. So download that app. It'll be a good, good help for you. Um, we are in a month just of transition out of the summer, back to school. I know as parents, uh, it feels good to get your kids back in that rhythm again, Right? Um, I don't know if all the schools have started back up. We just got Luke back in school this last week. And, and anyhow, it's exciting to start a new school year. So families, uh, you made it through the summer, all right? And uh, we're back into the, the beautiful fall uh, season here at the harbor. And we're, we're in this just in-between month called August, uh, just a couple weeks left, just really asking the Lord just to speak some things specifically to us as a community. And so I want to talk about... Um, how I believe that the Lord is pruning in all of our lives the dysfunction of familiarity. And especially familiarity that relates to realms of brokenness inside of our hearts. Spencer was talking about it actually as he was closing, how God goes after certain things in our lives, um, not to hurt us or not to shame us or condemn us or anything like that, He's going after it because it hinders love. And, and the Father is all about wanting to connect with us, wanting to display his love to us as his sons and daughters. And so anything that stands in the way of that, he is strategic and he is purposeful and he is intentional to make way to touch that part of our lives. And I really believe that this morning um, God is going to do that. Now, as I speak today, we're going to get into a part of my message to, to try to find some answers on how that is going to happen in our hearts. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, wow, God's going after anything and everything that hinders love. But what's the key to us partnering with that, to see it actually come to pass? And, and, and really, I believe the answer to that is to abide, to abide in God, to abide in his presence. And and the, and, and the definition of abiding, as you see those words within the, the Bible, it means to stay or to be present in a given state of expectancy. So when we're walking out this journey called life and we know that this Father is after us and he's longing to transform the entirety of our lives, not just one part or two parts or ten parts, like all of us from the inside out. We need to really learn to be present with him. But not only be present with him, be present with him in a state of expectancy. 
Because there's something about expectancy that, that really breeds faith. And faith is what activates and gives permission for God to come and move inside of our hearts. Are you all following me this morning? So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to open up with a story. Um, I've actually taught on this from a different angle before, but in Matthew 21, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and it says in verse 18, and I love the symbolism. I just so see symbolism in the Word of God. It says in Matthew 21, 18, it says, In the morning... Now, we need to pay attention. We can, a lot of times we just want to read through verses, but Holy Spirit oftentimes wants to just have us kind of go a little slower and just look at these verses and, and kind of glean even more depth from the things that we're putting our eyes upon in the Word of God because there's so much profound implication to every word. So in the morning, in other words, in the beginning of a new day, How many of you know that that we are living in a new day? We are living in a new time that actually started 2,000 years ago with what Christ accomplished on the cross. And this new time is entrance into anything, anything and everything being possible if we could just be present and be expectant. There should be no doubts in our hearts that that God could do some of the most profound things in our lives and in our families and in our marriages if we would just let him, if we would just be present in this new day and be expectant for God to change us by his glory. And it says in this morning time that he was hungry. And he wasn't hungry for bread. He wasn't hungry for meat. It says that he was looking in verse 19, uh, for a fig tree, there was one beside the road, but there weren't any figs on the trees, only leaves. Now, when I read this, I got encouraged because Jesus in this moment had a sweet tooth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lord, wow, I'm not the only one, you know? I mean, this is, an, uh, you know, this is a real confession before you this morning, but if I could eat sweets for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I would Mm. I mean, sometimes I even try to convince myself, like, when I'm eating carrot cake, that it's vegetables and they're good for me. You know what I mean? You got to just, you got to do whatever you can mentally to, to press through these kind of things. You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and the reason is, and, I, and this is just going into a little depth, depth in my, my, my history as a kid, I wasn't allowed any or a lot of, or never really, sweets as a child. In fact, do you remember going to school? I, this is old school, but we had, you know, our lunch buckets and stuff. I mean, now Luke gets a, a card and he gets to swipe it and get pizza or chicken nuggets at his school. We had none of that. In fact, school lunches were bad. I mean, bad. So we would have, you know, if, if you had a good mom, she would make you all these cool lunches. And I would go and I would have, you know, um, tuna fish on wheat, you know, I mean, whole grain and and everybody else would have white bread, and I was like, oh, man, I just want white bread. One week, please, Mom. And I would look in their lunch boxes, and they had Twinkies and Ding Dongs and Snowballs. And I got really good at trying to somehow finagle the carrots that I had in my lunch box 
for half a Twinkie. I would tell them all kinds of things, lies. I mean, I'm confessing this morning to get a hold of that Twinkie. I mean, sweet cereal, that was out of the question. I mean, it was a Wheaties home at the Davis household. Wheaties. And I was dreaming of Count Chocula and uh, Sugar Smacks. I mean, it was... So the, the problem... And so back in the day, my brother and I, the only way that we could get a hold of some candy was to go out and it was, we called it, it was collecting cans. We'd go out and find cans laying around the neighborhood and you could take those cans to the recycling center and you, this, I mean, I feel like, feel like I'm in like way old school here. Like just go with me. But we'd take those cans to the recycling center and we'd get 25, 50, 75 cents for a whole bag of cans and we would beeline it to the corner store to get some penny candy and I would, you know, I just... But that's how we got a hold of sweets. So now later in life, Wendy can tell you, I am a, I am a sugar addict. So <laughs> trying to make up for lost time. Can I get an amen? So this is where Jesus is at. And because there's no figs on the tree, he gets frustrated. Um, he actually doesn't get frustrated. There's a, there's a picture in this. Uh, I would have been frustrated. But anyhow, that, um, he sees this tree Notice that it says that there were only leaves on it, but there were no fruit. And so he causes the tree to wither up, and the, and the disciples are blown away, like, oh, my God, here's this tree that's a good old tree. It wasn't minding its own business. Jesus comes along, curses the tree. It withers up and dies. What the heck is going on here? You know, they're asking themselves. And, and I really asked the Lord, what, what is this? And he said, he said, Darren, the leaves represent life. And life is a beautiful thing, you know? It's, it's a privilege for all of us to be, to be born into this world and to have air in our lungs. You know, in him, the Bible says that we live and that we move and we have our very being. And that is for everyone on the planet. Did you know that every single person is created and made in the image of God? Every single person is God's, God's kid. And, 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 and leaves on the tree are a beautiful thing. They, they bring definition to that tree. They, 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 they give that tree a, a, a new realm of, of, of just awe when, when people look at it. We should be looking at people through the lens of, of the leaves on, on everybody's tree. But I want to say this. The reason Jesus came incarnationally 2,000 years ago was not for leaves, but for fruit. And we have to get a hold of this. Like, I mean, you know, I am all about, like, loving the totality of humanity right where they are. But we need to not only look at them through the lens of seeing the beautiful leaves on their tree, but we ourselves need to be looking at every human being created in the image of God and say, Lord, could we see a manifestation of fruit on them? And we have to start with us, right? We have to see a manifestation of fruit in our own lives. Because fruit... Unlike leaves being life, fruit equals transformation. And Jesus is looking for transformation because he came and gave his life for transformation. 
And there's, there's no guesswork here to this. Look at Matthew 7, verse 16. He says, you can identify, and by the way, this is a non-judgmental scripture. He's just trying to give us clues to what his heart is all about. And the heart being transformed people, transforming culture. And he says, you can identify them. In other words, those transformed by the kingdom. He says, by their fruit. And he gives more specifics to that. He says, that is, by the way they act. Leaves are beautiful. People are beautiful. Life is beautiful. But God doesn't stop there. He wants to change us from the inside out. And as that happens, it will affect the way we act. No legalism on that, but it will change the things that we used to do that now we no longer to do, not out of legalistic obligation, but because of the power and beauty of the gospel that has pruned a part of our hearts, resulting in transformation. You see, there's a spiritual law. And how many of you know that laws are laws? They they, they can't be changed. And one of the laws we see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, is this. And and we should, by the way, in these messages, take notes, put put stuff on your phone. uh, Consider these things that I'm saying. I... I was thinking this morning, like, I love our worship. I love the presence of God coming. But art and, and it being utilized as, as, a, as, a, as a presence uh, manifester, if you will, is for the purpose of us being open to the word of God coming to change the way we think. Because we will never change our behavior unless we change the way we think. So here's the law. It says, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce, verse 18, bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So a few weeks ago, hot or cold message, I think it applies that I was speaking on Uh, you know, about God wishing we were hot or cold because here the principle is it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. There's no in-between. And I think a lot of times in church we think, oh, man, we just can can live in the in-between space. But Jesus never died to pay for an in-between space. He died to pay for good fruit. So he's coming and he's looking for this to be manifest in our lives. Again, not from a judgmental perspective, but because of love. So Jesus is in this conversation in Luke 18 with this religious leader. And here in this conversation, we can see the unfortunate dysfunctional power of religion in a bad sense. And Jesus trying to reveal to this guy some truth. And if he could get it, it would change his behavior and he would manifest not only leaves, but fruit for the world to eat of. So this religious leader, he's asking Jesus the question, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm sure he's thinking in his mind, the next next, uh, age to come, heaven. I'm sure he's thinking solely that. What must I do? 
to get out of hell, if you will, and enter into eternal life. Now, this is crazy, because Jesus, instead of answering his question right away, look what he says. In verse 19, he says, he digresses completely. He just throws everything for a loop, and he goes, why do you call me good? Going back to the verse I just read, for only God is good. Religious leader, what are you saying here when you call me good? Are you now saying that I am manifesting the fruit of the Father? Is that what you're saying? I want to ask you this question. Do you realize what you're asking religious leader here? Good tree produces good fruit. Then he goes back to verse 20 and he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. In other words, there's going to be a manifestation of behavior change, not behavior modification, because that's, we're going to get into that maybe here in a little bit. But he said, there's going to be a manifestation of change And he said, you know the commandments. You must not uh, commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. He knows where he's going with this with this guy's heart. Honor your father and mother. And the man replies in verse 21. you got to pay close attention to this. He says, I have obeyed all of these things since I was young. I did it. I obeyed. All of these things. But you see, what he didn't recognize is there was a realm of familiarity in his life that was dysfunctional, that was now manifesting in his heart that Jesus was going to address. And so in verse 22, when he heard this answer, he says, Awesome, man. Not really, actually. Trying to do this on your own, it's not going to get. It's going to get you leaves, but that's about it. Religious leaves at best. But he said, "There's still one thing you haven't done. If you want to play this, I've done this game. Let me throw one at you. And here's what you need to do if you think you're going to get to eternal life on your own." Sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. When I read this, I thought about this. You see, we're so, we're so, we're so preoccupied with should we have things, should we not have things, should we drive a nice car, should we not drive a nice car, should we have a nice house, should we not have a nice house, should we wear nice clothes, not have nice clothes. There's been this battle in, in Christianity on those peripherals which really don't have anything to do with what God's trying to get to because it's not about what we have, it's about what has a hold of us. And what had a hold of this man was actually the fact that he was putting his trust in his ability to do something or not do something and putting his trust in the riches that he had now obtained. And Jesus gets to that dysfunctional familiarity in his heart and he says, if you want to go somewhere, this not, he wasn't trying to 
get him to get rid of his money. He was trying to get rid of what had a hold of him. But when the man heard this, verse 23, he became very sad for he was very rich. You know, in, in sometimes counseling with people, one instance I'm thinking of in my mind, someone really struggled with alcohol. They, they said it this way, and it was hard for me to relate, but I think I could grasp what they were saying. They said, alcohol is like a close friend that I've really come to know. And this friend is a part of my family. I think Chris Valentin said it like this. He says, if you want to change your future, you may have to change your friends. It's like what part of our lives, what aspects in our lives have become close friends that actually, in a sense, have really become a part of our identity? That when Jesus begins to touch on those things, we really don't know if we want to let them go because we really aren't able to be present in that space or expectant because we don't believe if he takes that away, we will have the satisfaction that we have been having by keeping that thing remaining in our life. This is the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy, even to a generation is if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to give up all these things. And by giving up all these things, that's going to result in not having any fun anymore or not having any satisfaction for your life. And the trick on this whole thing is that all that stuff that we have made dysfunctionally familiar with our hearts, all it does is bring us into a place of destruction. And then when God comes and he tries to deal with it, the enemy speaks and, oh, the Father's just trying to take something away from you. He's just trying to shame you. He's just trying to embarrass you. He's trying to expose this junk that's inside. No, no, no. He is going after original intent being restored to your DNA. Fruit coming off those branches with those beautiful leaves so the world can taste of him by eating from your life. I was thinking this this week, man, in, dis- in discipleship. We're trying to disciple a generation. What does that look like? Does that look like another program where we get a bunch of teachings that we borrowed from somebody else? Or discipleship look like us bearing fruit in our lives and in our hearts and we give that fruit away to the people that we love? And I want to say this, I believe dysfunctional familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt in general, but dysfunctional uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt is this, it's disdain. It's feeling unworthy of love or respect. When you're walking in dysfunctional familiarity, You might not consciously think it, but when you're stuck, like this man was, he was very sad when Jesus asked him this question because he didn't, after he felt like he failed the Lord there in the area that Jesus was pointing out, he probably felt like, well, I guess there's no hope for me. I guess this one thing that I just can't give up is going to disqualify me from his love. 
Come on, I'm speaking to someone this morning. That is a lie, lie, lie. When he comes and touches that area of your heart and you're like, I can't, God, I can't even give this up if I wanted to. That's actually a good starting place. All he's looking for is our honesty. All he's looking for is engagement of our hearts. All he's looking for is relationship. Begin to go to him with those very struggles instead of pull away in this dysfunctional familiarity that breeds contempt. Don't you go down that road of disdain where you feel unworthy of love or unworthy of respect. That is a lie from the adversary. That is the lie that he keeps you stuck where you are. He's not asking you to give that up in your own power. That's where that guy was. That was his mindset. He thought, I've done all these other things well. Oh, but now you're touching on a realm that I can't stop. When Jesus saw this, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want to bring context to this because some scholars believe that the needle Jesus was speaking of was the needle gate. It was supposedly a low and narrow after-hours entrance into the city of Jerusalem. So in other words, when things were dark... This was the entrance on how to get into the city. I believe this applies to our generation today. I mean, things are dark out there and people are trying to find a way into the city of life. And more than likely, they're going to have to come through the needle gate. And the needle gate was low and narrow And it was purposely small for security reasons. A camel could only go through it by stripping off any saddles or packs and crawling through it on its knees. I titled this message to get rid of dysfunctional familiarity. We need to go low And we need to go light. Going low is this. I have need of you, God. It is dark in this area of my life, but I want in the city. And God's like, listen, you're not going to walk through some big, huge gates during the day with this thing. If you're going to come in, You're going to have to strip off every, you're going to have to be like, I don't want this saddle on my back anymore. I don't want all this external peripheral stuff anymore. I don't want any of it. I just want you and I am coming low because I need you, God. And when you come low, trust me, you will get into the city. I am seeing more and more that at the end of the day, man, We may have to go to the end of ourselves before we come to the beginning of what God has for us. And we can't force anybody to say, I don't want, you know, we got to come to a place in our life where we go, God, I just don't, like, there should be, if any disdain should be in our life, we should be just filled with disdain for the stuff that has plagued our hearts for way, way too long. 
that we have given friendship, place of friendship in our hearts, and it is keeping us from bearing the fruit. We should be like, I am over this. So what do we do? What do we do? Because Peter's like, oh my God, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 26, as I close this out. He says, who in the world can be saved? Because he was thinking of this stuff through the very same lens. He's like, man, I'm kind of looking at my own strength here. How in the world am I going to get in? You know, this guy couldn't even give up the riches. And Jesus replied, what is impossible for people, in verse 27 of chapter 18, is possible with God. Oh, man. There's the gospel. Listen, if you think that you can get everything straightened out in your own heart and you don't know Jesus, I don't know what else to say to you. Okay, we don't even really need church. We for sure didn't need the cross. We didn't need a man dying for us, if that was the case. Um, but if, if you're like in the place of being present, being aware, this is impossible. That's what, when, I, when I'm meeting with people and they're stuck, all I want to hear them say, honestly, is, Darren, this is impossible for me. I can't stop looking at pornography. I can't stop filling the blank. I can't stop. I just can't do it. And I'm almost like, oh, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, you're present now. Now you're aware. Now you're able to to, to let God begin to do something. But you don't stop at being present. you got to now move to expectancy. Please hear me. I I love what God is doing in the body of Christ around the world, but we have to rise up in this hour and we got to start preaching from our pulpits that change is possible. Real change is possible. Because Peter, I mean, you got to understand, this guy was a fisherman, and, and once you're a fisherman, you'll always be a fisherman. Um... You know, I mean, because he said, we've given up houses for your namesake. Yeah, that's the beginning because, see, I'm going to change you from the inside out. And, and the world will tell you, hey, if you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be an alcoholic. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. I understand the concept. I think we need to be aware, hey, this is in my family. This is in my, my, my just kind of my my bent, it's, it's something I struggle with, it's all that. But God is really able, I believe, to do the impossible and completely transform people. I was um, connecting with a friend of mine over breakfast uh, last, this last Monday, and we were talking about just our upbringing in the city that I was raised in Montana where he was raised and, and, and this guy had now come to Jesus and, and we were just rejoicing I hadn't seen him in almost 30 years it was special we were rejoicing in what Christ had done in our lives it was so powerful because we remembered 
how we used to be. And now we're sitting around a table, breaking bread, thinking of the impossible things God did in each of our lives. And it was powerful. But I told him, I said, when it comes to pruning, I thought that getting out of Montana, because you see, when, when Jesus said, anybody who leaves homes or families or lands for my namesake, there'll be a hundredfold blessing for them in this life and in the life to come. And we think when we read that, oh, I just got to leave. I just got to move. But did you know that running is not pruning? Moving is not pruning. Leaving is not pruning. (laughs) Being present and being expectant is pruning. If you leave an environment in that way, you'll enter the environment in the same way that you left. So I loved how Grant was talking about this last week, like when they were getting healed, the word of the Lord for them was to stay in the camp until being present, being expectant, transformation. We love you, Lord. Your love is so powerful. It's so long-suffering. It's so strategic. It's always looking for the one that has drifted off. You know, I was thinking about that just with your eyes closed, just your head bowed. We think of that as like a wayward person, but what about that one area, the wayward piece of our heart that's gone away? But every Sunday after Sunday sits in church with leaves on our branches and Jesus is saying, I want to eat of some figs. Is today the day? I'm running after you. I'm going to find you. I see you. Don't hide anymore. Don't try to sow fig leaves out of self-effort to cover your shame. Let me cleanse your heart. Maybe today you're in here and you're like, I've never done that with Jesus ever. Letting him come in to those broken places, those shameful places. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of respect. That is not true. You are beautiful. You are wonderfully made, wonderfully fashioned. Maybe you're that person that like so much of your life has been transformed but there's that one area is impossible. And you've tried and tried and tried and Jesus is like, stop trying. Give me a try. I believe God wants to touch that today. He wants to change that today. 
no one looking around on either of these things, could, could just by a show of hands, I just want to see if this message is resonating. Could you put up your hand and say, I could identify with one of those two things that you just said, Darren. Thank you. All over this room. Wow. You can put your hands down. We have our ministry teams come up, and we're just going to make some space this morning for God to be God and for Him to prune the dysfunctional, familiar areas of our lives so that the world can taste and see that He is good through us, through our lives. Would you stand all over this room? I'm going to actually have Justin just sing over us as we dismiss here for those that don't need prayer or are unable to come and receive it because of time constraints or for sure we need everybody to go get the children. But could you today, just as our ministry teams come, could you just make your way to the front? And here's what I want. I don't want our ministry teams really saying much over any of the people. I just want you to be present with them as they're being present with God. And then I want just us to just, as a way of identification, put our hands on their shoulders and let's be expectant for Jesus to do something that would blow our minds where you'll remember this Sunday and you'll be like, my God, where I couldn't see breakthrough, I'm now starting to see breakthrough. And by the way, it is process. It is process. And God loves the process. Walk with God. Abide in Him, and He will abide in you. Stay present. Stay expected. Never leave out of that space. Father, as we come before you today, would you touch us? Would you touch lives? And as I pray, would you just come to the front, all of you that need ministry? Lord, as we come today, we want to see a breakthrough of transformation. Come on, every, every heart, if, if you raise your hand, come up and you can do it. Just come up and let's just spend some time. I'm going to ask Sam and Ariel, Wendy, Julie, any of our other leaders, let's just come to the front. We're not going to say anything to anybody. We're just going to be present with them as they're present with God and we're going to be expectant by faith. Just come and make space here at the front in Jesus' name. Listen, God bless you guys as you're dismissed. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday in Jesus' name.